At verse 16, once when we were going, last week we talked about Paul, who is always moving. Here he goes again. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought, up, brought them out and asked, well, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves to escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. We'll go that far. Now, that's an interesting story. Lots going on. I say this almost every week. <laughs> Can't cover it all. Uh, so, I won't. Uh, even though I got like 20 minutes to do it. Um, <laughs> so, in a, in a couple of weeks, it's Memorial Day weekend. And Memorial Day weekend always seems to be uh, the start of summer vacation season. Some of you are probably planning uh, to be gone uh, in a couple of weeks. Take a trip. It's like you're going to take a, a vacation. How many of us have plans? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. But so a lot of us have plans. It's like the first weekend. We can do something. And I hope if you have plans that it's, that it's restful and beautiful and that you are filled 
uh, and recharged and whatever it is you hope to get out of, out of that vacation weekend, I hope, I hope you get it. If you're not going anywhere, you've probably made plans uh, for summer. Any of us have summer vacation plans? Or how many of us are making summer vacation plans? Yes. What do you do when you go on a vacation? You pack stuff, right? And there are certain things that you, you pack a suitcase or a bag or something to bring along because you want to bring a lot of stuff along. You don't want to get to wherever it is you're going, open up your suitcase and go, oh no, I forgot underwear. I told, now I have to go to Target or Walmart and I'm going to buy the kind that I don't really like and it's be uncomfortable. And you, like all of us have our favorite pairs of underwear, right? Do we not? This is a human thing. We love our underwear specific kind. Anyway, you want to bring that along. You want to bring your toothbrush, your toothpaste, your deodorant. There are all sorts of other things that you want to bring along. If we get 45 minutes down the road and we realize, oh my goodness, I forgot my phone, we will probably turn around and spend an extra hour and a half on the road because we forgot our phone and we can't live without it. Am I right about this? Who am I kidding? We're, we're going to get like five minutes down the road and we're going to be like, I forgot my phone. Let's go back because that's like a part of our bodies now, right? So we don't forget stuff like that. For our family, if we're going on a trip that's like two hours or longer, we cannot forget the DVD players because our boys have to sit in the back of the van and watch Star Wars along the way. They just have to. They won't know what to do without it. There are certain things you have to bring along when you're on a trip, when you're on the go, when you're on the move. Last week, we talked about Paul. Dude was always on the move. He was always on the go. And we recognized last week that it seemed that Paul's movement in faith actually helped him to hear the voice of God. His taking steps of faith actually helped him to to understand the divine will. It's sort of his movement actually helped him connect to the divine in some way. It also, we also noticed that it sort of changed his long-term plans into more like spirit-guided vision. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily holding on to those long-term plans too tightly. He was willing to listen to the voice of God, the will of God, and change directions. Remember last week, we talked about how he tried twice to go into Asia. And twice, the Spirit of God said, "Uh uh-uh. It seemed like his long-term plans were to go to Asia. For some reason, he felt like he had a heart for Asia. But a couple of times, the Spirit showed up and said, no, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go in a different direction. So Paul was always on the move, always on the go, always moving where he thought God was leading and it allowed him to hear where God actually wanted him to go. But just like any other human being, while he was on the go, he sort of, he brought some important stuff along. Some things that you don't want to forget. Nobody can accuse Paul of forgetting his underwear or his toothbrush or deodorant. No, he always brought the basics along, the essentials of any trip. So we're going to look at this story and see what kind of attitudes Paul brought along. What, what are the kinds of things that as he was moving in faith, what, are the kinds of di- what was his disposition as he went? So we're going to start at verse 16. Paul, again, is on the go. Once when we were going, he's always going at a frantic pace. They were going to the place of prayer 
We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. That's interesting. When I say the Most High God, who do you think of? God. The God we worship, right? We think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We think of that's who, which makes sense. These are servants of the Most High God. They're in a Roman town, Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. What do you, we'll get to it. What are they thinking of? This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out and the spirit left her. So Paul was doing his best to bring the message of Jesus, to embody the message of Jesus to the people in Macedonia, in specific, the people in Philippi. And then this slave girl who was possessed by a spirit who allowed her to tell the future, predict the future, continued to cry out day after day after day, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Paul tried to put up with it for a little while. Like, for a couple of days, he was okay with it. But then he recognized, oh my goodness, this is causing all kinds of confusion. Right? So this woman, possessed by a spirit, was revealing things to the crowd about them, the most high God. Confusion was inevitable. Here's why. She was using this generic term, the most high God. In that context, in this context, we're like, God. In that context, the very people that Paul was trying to meet, they would have thought differently. They would have associated the most high God to any number of other Greek gods, like Apollo, or Zeus, or Hermes, or all kinds of other, other gods. He knew that the people that she, to whom she was speaking trusted her. Why do we know this? Because she made a great deal of money for her owners. So people are paying her all kinds of money, making the owners filthy rich, right? So they trusted her. So Paul got sick of it. He's like, there's a danger here. His mission and his message was in danger. The very reason that God had sent him there was in danger. It was threatened with all kinds of confusion. So he also saw this, I think, as an opportunity to embody the message that he was bringing, right? So Jesus, so Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke, right? So in the book of Luke, Jesus identifies himself, sort of comes out and says, this is what I'm all about. You can find this in Luke chapter 4. He says, preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. So here, I think Paul finds himself in a situation where I'm not just going to tell these people. I'm actually going to embody the things that Jesus said he was all about. So here's an, here's an opportunity for him to actually embody the message. And he frees this girl who is enslaved. This girl who is oppressed. This girl 
who is in bondage. She said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, come out of her, and the spirit left her. So with laser-like focus, he does that. He remembers the, he remembers the purpose. So he's focused on what he's supposed to be doing, proclaiming the message, embodying the message. The spirit leaves her. The potential for confusion is gone. A prisoner was set free. The one who was oppressed is released. His mission could go on. So, if we're going to actually take steps of faith, if we're going to actually move in faith, it's important for us to to bring along the kind of focus that Paul had. We have to constantly remind ourselves of our purpose, the purpose of our moving. We're not just moving willy-nilly in random places. We're, we're moving in faith for a reason. Right? So after Paul had a dream of a man in Macedonia, he's like, that's where I'm supposed to go. He rem- he, the purpose was to teach and embody the message and presence of Jesus. And then when the message was threatened, he did what he needed to do to remain connected to that purpose. So we don't move in the direction that God is calling without doing it for a reason, without a purpose. It's like getting into a vehicle and just driving around, just aimlessly driving. There's got to be a reason for our movement. How many of you heard of the guy named Rick Warren? Rick Warren. (laughs) About a decade and a half ago, a dude wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Have you heard of this? He also wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. Do you know what those, do you know how, do you know, those books sell like hotcakes. Like they were flying off the shelves. Why, why was that? Because he, he connected with something that was very basic and something that sort of strikes a chord that is deep. We all have a, a purpose. Churches have a purpose. And he actually helped a great deal, a great many people reconnect with, oh my goodness, this is who I am. This is my purpose. It is a big deal. Whole churches went through campaigns. I remember in, in Michigan, we went through a campaign, the Purpose Driven Church. We went through the whole thing. And honestly, some of it I thought, this is hokey stuff, but I'm going to do it anyway because leadership wants me to do it. But it had a transformative effect on, our, on that community, right? Because they allowed us to remain focused on who God called us to be. It's like light. Light diffused it illuminates things, but when you focus light, it becomes very powerful. How many of us, when we were little kids, had a magnifying glass in the summer, and we went outside, and we found like a piece of paper or a leaf, right? And we focused the power of the sun to burn leaves, like we thought it was the coolest thing ever. How many of us tried to murder ants with those things? <laughs> huh? How sick are we? We immediately go from leaves to ants. Let's murder. <laughs> anyway, so light focused, we, lasers can cut through blocks of steel, right? So purpose, focus, it allows us to be efficient with our energy 
and effective in doing and moving wherever it is that God is calling us to go. So Paul had a sense of purpose to teach and actually embody the message of Jesus. Right? So when this spirit-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl presented with what seemed like a roadblock, he turned it into an open door. So he embodies the message. He releases the one who is oppressed, right? Set the prisoner free. And the people there, what do you think they were like? In the name of Jesus, come out of her. They're like, how did that happen? All kinds of questions. So now, now he didn't have a choice. He has to explain the reason. Or he has to explain how this is happening the way it's happening. So his sense of focus sort of opens a door for all kinds of different spiritual conversations. So if we're going to move in the direction God is calling us to go, if we're going to actually take steps of faith, trusting that God is going to reveal to us so that we can actually understand the will of the divine, we have to remember why we're going, right? To, to talk about and to embody the things that Jesus talked about and embodied. Right, so that's the first thing. Let's not forget why we're moving. Right, here's the second thing he packed. Let's follow the story. So Paul takes away this key to the lucrative business for people. Right, so they're making money. All kinds of it. He takes it away. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? The crowd joined in the attack against Paul. So they get mad. They brought them before the courts. People joined in. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving orders, put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. So they didn't compromise the reason, the purpose, the focus, and it got them beaten. It got them severely flogged. It got them rejected. They were thrown in prison, but that shouldn't surprise us. Who were they following? Jesus. Read the stories about Jesus in the Bible. Dude was getting rejected all the time. He was getting pushback all the time for the things that he was saying, for the things that he was doing. Largely from the people who had power, largely from the people who were religiously uh, inclined who had all sorts of religious expertise. In fact, all he did was live out grace and mercy and love and healing and forgiveness. All he did was show us exactly who God is and how God operates in the world, and it got him rejected. It got him, it got him killed. So if we're going to move in the direction, staying connected to the purpose we're moving, connected with Jesus, teaching, embodying the message, pack a readiness to be rejected, maybe? He's ready for it. Friends, here's the deal. The darkness will never see the light unless we move into the darkness carrying the light. Right? And then it just won't happen. God loves to work through human beings. It's the constant theme throughout the entire Bible. So the darkness will never see the light unless we carry the light into the darkness. But here's, here's the deal. The darkness hates the light. Darkness does not like the light. The darkness wants to remain hidden, 
wants to remain dark. The darkness hates the light. When Colin Kaepernick started a protest to, to protest the way that minorities were, have been treated by law enforcement, he wanted to draw attention to it, you know, kneeling during uh, the, the national anthem. The whole nation was like, you're totally right. We have to change everything we're doing. And it was like this seamless transition to a new way of being in this country, right? No. All kinds of resistance. All kinds of backlash. All kinds of, all kinds of people making the conversation about that which it was never intended to be about. Why? Why does this happen? Why is there a struggle? Because the darkness hates the light. When Me Too started taking off, and still today, right, that was met with everybody, collect, our collective consciousness as a nation was like, oh my goodness, how did we not see this before? We've been acting like fools. Let's all change the way we behave. We've got structures in place. We need to do some hard work. No. It's been met with resistance. It's been met with deflection. It's been met with defensiveness. It's been met with the shifting of blame. Why? Darkness hates the light. Darkness hates the light. I mean, we could raise all kinds of issues, right? All kinds of, when you're concerned for a family member or a coworker or a friend over something you think, they might be addicted to and it's ruining their lives and that turns into an intervention by people who love those people. That person is always, on all occasions, you're totally right. I'm making a mess of my life. I'm going to change things now. No. It's met with resistance. How can you possibly think that of me? I don't do that. Right? Why? Darkness hates the light. Parents, when you confront your children over destructive behavior or things that might be self-harming to them, right? you bring this up gently and with love and grace, and they're like, you're totally right, mom. You got that right, dad. Absolutely. I will change my life from here on out. And they become perfect little angels. That's how it works. Lisa, in my house, what's your experience? Is it different? <laughs> no, it doesn't. There's always resistance because the darkness hates the light. So if we're doing things that Jesus has called us to do, if we're, if we're teaching, if we're embodying the grace, the love, the healing, the forgiveness, if we're preaching good news to the poor, if we're proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, releasing the oppressed, if we're doing the things that, the very same things that Jesus said, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, this is, what exact, this is exactly what he did. If we're doing that, he met with rejection, he met with resistance, what do you think we're going to meet? resistance. We're going to be rejected. How much rejection and resistance are we bumping up against? Are we ready for it? Are we willing to pay a price? Is there a cost? There is. Are we paying it? When we're moving in concert with what God wants us to do, if we're listening to the voice of God, if we're on the move, taking steps of faith, connected to Jesus and what he embodied, we're probably going to face some resistance. So 
when we move in faith, we pack this along. It's one of the things we take with us. Okay, I'm ready. So there they were, paying the price, stuck in prison, singing praises to God. Singing praises to God in prison after being beaten and flogged. They're in stocks. They're in chains, singing praises to God. Thank you, God, for our present suffering. I'm grateful. (laughs) Wow. Then, a violent earthquake hit, giving Paul and Silas a big old get-out-of-jail-free card. So their jailer realized that if all the prisoners would, were escaped, he'd, he'd be out of a job. He'd lose, he'd lose the ability to put food on the table for his family. He's thinking about his family. He might actually be thrown in prison himself. So he draws his sword, and he wants to take his own life. And in that moment, Paul and Silas... Without thinking, like gather all the prisoners together and we're like, that compassionately, we're all here, dude. We're, stop, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So they put their personal freedom. Think about that in the country we live. They put their personal freedom on the shelf for the sake of another person. Didn't matter to them. They called out to the jailer, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And you know what happens next? Dude's life was transformed. Another, another family was now welcomed into the family of God and things were changed and people were transformed because Paul and Silas acted with transformational grace. They gave themselves up. So if we're going to follow God, listening for the voice discerning the will while we're moving in faith, connected to Jesus, not being afraid of the resistance we have. We also have, we have this willingness to act with transformational grace. And you know what grace is, right? Grace comes from the same word that where we get the word gift. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It's largely unexpected. It's boom, out of the blue. It's just here. Most of us are here because we've been touched by that, by that grace. Most of us, or maybe some of us are here because we've heard that this is a place where you can experience that, and we're just hoping to experience a little bit of that from the divine as we gather here in, in this space. So while we're on the move, while we're on the go, while we're taking steps in faith, are we willing to act with transformational grace? to give away the thing that we've been given, right? It marked the life of Jesus. It probably ought to mark ours too, if we call ourselves Jesus, people. A number of years ago, there was a man named Charles who locked himself in an Amish school in Pennsylvania. He ultimately took the lives of small, five small girls and eventually took his own life. Do you remember this? If you don't, Google it. Amish school shooting, right? So he forced an entire town and really the whole nation. It's, it's, it's a theme that's been repeated on and on and on and on and on again over the years, over the last decade or more, right? These things happen. But this one was a little bit different because there was a funeral of the man who 
took his own life after taking the lives of five small girls. At the funeral, his wife, Marie, was stunned and shocked when half the people who showed up for the funeral were members of that Amish community who stood alongside of her, grieved with her, mourned with her, gave their lives in that moment at his funeral, the funeral of a man who took their daughter's lives. They stood in solidarity out of a sense of grace, out of a sense of mercy, out of a sense of compassion for this woman. And she was totally changed and transformed because of it. Just Google it. You can read all about it. And those moments are rare in the national news. But this one, this one just blew up and it was like no one could believe. I believe it. I believe it. It doesn't surprise me at all. These people were Jesus people. These people knew what Jesus was about. These people knew what what we are called to be about. They didn't care what anybody else thought. No, it was a moment where they could act with transformational, life-changing race. When we move, are we willing to act? We need to pack along a willingness to act with transformational grace, grace that is undeserved, unearned, largely unexpected. So here's the deal. Moving in faith isn't easy. It never has been. It never will be, right? Has that been your experience? Moving in faith faith has never been easy. Remember who we are. Remember our focus. Remember what Jesus was about, what we ought to be about. Don't be surprised when we get pushback. Don't be surprised when people ask questions, which might actually be an opportunity. And don't be surprised if while you're moving in faith, taking steps of faith, God actually provides opportunities for you to act with transformational grace. Here's the deal. We don't gather here every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, so that one day we can just go to heaven someday. No. I mean, sweet. But God cares about now. God cares about the present. Jesus, we proclaim, is alive and active, roaming this world, still doing the very same things that he was doing in the stories that we read about him in the Bible. And in large part, he wants to do those things in and through people like you and people like me, right? Are we willing to take steps of faith? Are we willing to do that? Trusting that God's going to speak along the way, trusting that the divine will will actually become apparent to us. I think we can. Remembering who we are we're going to face some sort of resistance. But when those opportunities to act with transformational grace happen, don't hesitate. Let's take them, man. So pack your things and get moving.
Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for these stories, for, 